Happy, Happy Halloween. Halloween! Welcome to a special bonus episode. We're so excited. I love Halloween and it's the best. It's true crime and spooky stuff and candy. Yeah, what, what's better than that? Are you having, you're having spooky Halloween weather, aren't you? Yeah, it's freezing. Yeah, it's real cold here too, but super no snow yet no no snow that's good because october's too fucking early i saw a meme that was like snow in october is because you decorate for fucking christmas too early (laughs) we there's usually we usually get our first snow in october but i mean it's dry so maybe it'll be not as terrible this year maybe we're two girls (laughs) we're two girls at a campfire and i'm allison and i'm sarah and this is Halloween. Halloween. Halloween 2021. All right. I think you're going first. Tell us your story. I am going to go first. And I was actually really happy to find this story. Um, as I had started reading about it more, I, you know, had remembered that I had learned about this years ago. So one of the things that as a kid, I always thought was really fascinating was the stories of the poisoned candy or... Oh, I love this story! (laughs) Or like, don't eat, um, you know, baked goods or anything that doesn't come in a package, right? There's always been a lot of kind of urban legend around the candy. Or now they keep saying, oh, they're going to give out edibles. And I'm like, fuck, they wish they would. Like, come on. Nobody's giving out drugs for free. You're an idiot. Yeah. Honestly, like as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah. But like, no, I would never give some shitty kid my edible. Like, <laughs> what a waste. Still your own. It's a waste sure. of weed. Seriously. Also, it really sucks to be dosed and not know that that happens. Like, did I ever tell you about my grandmother who accidentally ate a cookie? No. Yeah. So that was not my fault. Somebody else left the cookie at her house and she ate it. And I just remember her uh, reaching out, calling and asking my dad, am I high? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, grandma, you are in fact very high. Yeah. Don't dose people that don't know it's coming. It's it's a rough ride. So this story is about Ronald Clark O'Brien and he was dubbed the candy man because he killed his eight-year-old son on Halloween night in 1974. So I mean, what else do you do with your children? Yeah. If not kill them. Why not? (laughs) So October 31st, 1974, O'Brien took his two children, he had a daughter and then his 10-year-old son, he took them trick-or-treating and they were accompanied by his neighbor and his neighbor's children. And this is happening in Pasadena, Texas. So I I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea where that is. So after only visiting a couple houses, it was raining that night. So O'Brien and the neighbor and the kids, they only went to a few homes. And one of the homes on the block, there were no lights on, but O'Brien insisted that they go to this house and knock on the door. So everybody kind of plays along. They, they go and knock on the door. 
nobody answers and you know they're like okay we're going to move on to the next house o'brien ends up kind of falling behind the group at this point and so the neighbor goes to the next house with the kids does the trick-or-treat thing get the candy so they're coming back to the sidewalk o'brien walks up and he has a handful of pixie sticks in his hand and he tells everybody that the guy finally opened the door and you know handed these candies out to him and asked him to distribute them to the kids nobody really thinks anything of it they go on they go to a couple more houses and then they decide to call it a night so upon returning home the O'Brien house is getting trick-or-treaters he ends up giving the last pixie stick to a boy that he recognized from their church and um, the whole purpose of this was that he was kind of trying to cover his tracks a little bit before bed um, as the kids are getting ready for bed his son Timothy says that he wants a candy and according to Ronald that his son chose the pixie stick in later uh, interviews with the wife it really comes out that Timothy wanted a sucker that was the candy he wanted before bed and Ronald his dad told him no that would take too long to eat and really kind of forced the pixie stick on him so Timothy opens the pixie stick and he was having trouble because it was stapled what the fuck so he couldn't like I know right. his dad did it but like <laughs> That's real sly. Like, nobody's going to notice that. Right. The stapled candy. Especially fucking pixie sticks are tiny. Like, that staple's bigger than the whole fucking thing. And I'm wondering, like, I tried to Google, like, pixie sticks from the 1970s. But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like it's anything different from than, like, I think maybe instead of paper, they were a little bit of a thicker cardboard, but not... Like, still, a staple would be way out of place. (laughs) It's not going to be a staple. So the kid can't get it open. So Ronald ends up opening this pixie stick for him, gives it back to his son. And Timothy, you know, if you've ever eaten a pixie stick, you just dump the whole thing in your mouth, usually. So he eats the the candy. And almost immediately, he starts complaining. He says that the candy tasted really bitter and it just didn't taste right. So Ronald gives him a cup of Kool-Aid, cherry Kool-Aid to wash it down because that's really sweet. You're not going to notice the bitter flavor. Right after Timothy ingests the Kool-Aid, he starts convulsing and then he starts vomiting like copious amounts. And O'Brien claims that While Timothy was vomiting, he's holding the child and then he just went limp in his arms. They called called an ambulance and Timothy O'Brien died en route to the hospital less than an hour after consuming the candy. This death like really like raised questions and people are freaking out. An autopsy revealed that he had been uh, that the pixie stick that he had consumed was laced with a fatal dose of potassium cyanide. And not only was this a fatal dose for a child, it was enough to kill three to four grown adults. So Ronald had basically opened these pixie sticks, dumped out half of the powder, 
and then just replaced it with pure potassium cyanide. Again, how do you just get cyanide? Did he tell people he was a jeweler? What is this, Jonestown again? And he drank (laughs) Kool-Aid. Well, when was Jonestown? Was that like, was that was in the 70s? It was in the 70s, I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. Cyanide and Kool-Aid was the mix (laughs) in the 70s, I guess. Glad I missed that. Yeah, so um, four of the five pixie sticks that O'Brien had that he claimed that he received from this creepy house um, were recovered by the authorities and none of the other children had consumed the candy. The parents of the fifth child, the little boy from church that had received it, they freaked out because they couldn't find the pixie stick. And then it actually turned out that the kid had tried to open the pixie stick, but because it was stapled shut, he couldn't do it. And he ended up just throwing it away. Thank God. Right. At this point, them knowing that this is going on, they go ahead and arrest the father. And Ronald, he said that he didn't do it. He proclaimed his innocence. And from a first glance, he looked like a really upstanding citizen. He was a deacon at the church. He did a lot of volunteer work. But the more that investigators started digging into things, they realized that this guy had a lot of money problems. So... 1974, he's over $100,000 in debt, which in today's comes out to about be about $600,000 with the inflation. He's in massive amount of debt. And just 30 days before his son's death, he had taken out life insurance policies on all of his children. Why don't we plan ahead? You need to get that shit. (laughs) Like immediately after your kids are born, if you ever think you might need to kill them for money. Like plan ahead. Yeah. Be prepared. Like, this is so sloppy, right? Like, and also who takes out life insurance policies on their children? Like the insurance agent actually even said that he thought that it was very strange, especially because of all the different clauses that he had wanted included. So one of the clauses even stated that if the children were to die by poisoning, he would receive an additional $20,000. Oh, good. So, like, this is it's very sly, right? Like, very slick way to just put your red flags out there. So, obviously, police are incredibly suspicious. On more than one occasion, he had gone into different locations and inquired about purchasing potassium cyanide. He was an opt uh, an optometrist in his town, so. One of his clients was like a fertilizer dealer or something like that. And like he had approached him about obtaining this potassium cyanide, even though they, the police were never able to track down where he actually got this poison. He, he had made numerous uh, requests about it, talked about it, was pretty open about it. Again, like you left so many fucking red flags. They're like, oh, this kid died from potassium cyanide. Well, guess who was asking how to buy it two weeks ago? Exactly. The other thing that, um, so again, this whole time, even though the cops are presenting him with this information, he's saying, no, 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 he's totally innocent. He ends up, Ronald ends up taking the police officers on a field trip around the neighborhood to kind of go to each house that they had been to. When they came to the house that he had insisted that they go to, even though the lights weren't on, and this is where he said he obtained the poison candy, he said the 
the person that opened the door didn't say anything. They just opened the door and stuck an arm out and that the, it was this really hairy arm. And it's cousin it out right. home handing out candy. Exactly. But also like, that's stupid. Why would you take that? <laughs> right? If some weird arm hands me fucking candy, I'm gonna be like, I'm good. I'll throw it in the yeah. bushes. So, and of course this story was, um, really quickly debunked as well. The gentleman that had lived in that house, um, his name was Courtney Melvin and he was an air traffic controller and he was at work that night and over 200 people confirmed that he had been at work that (laughs) night. So yeah, it wasn't one person. Right. They ended up arresting, uh, Ronald and I found some really interesting information about his court case. So he, he, it took the jury less than an hour to convict him. They were only in deliberation for like 47 minutes. And then it took right about the same time to um, sentence him to the death penalty. So at this point in Texas's history, he would have been the first, he was the first person to be sentenced to death by lethal injection. Because before it was just getting electrocuted. Yeah, it was just electrocution. The first execution date was set for August 8th of 1980. So this, you know, his trial, everything went on for quite some time. And then his attorney actually successfully petitioned for a stay of execution. The second date was scheduled for May 25th of 1982. That date was also postponed. And then the third date that was set was October 31st, 1982. So it would have been the eight year anniversary of his son's death. The, the public really was invested in, in that date. Like it was, got really kind of crazy and symbolic and like there were all kinds of like protests out on the, you know, at the uh, prison and everything. But that actually was also, that execution date was also stayed because his attorney made a argument that death by lethal injection was cruel and unusual. So finally, the fourth date was scheduled for March 31st of 1984. And even though his lawyer, again, uh, applied for a stay of execution, they um, denied it. So in his final statement, O'Brien maintained his innocence, stating that he felt the death penalty was wrong. He said, I forgive all, and I do mean all, those who have been involved in my death. May God bless you, and may God's best blessings always be yours. Mm -hmm. Bullshit. He's a a little bit of a sociopath. During the execution, a crowd of over 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison and cheered, and some even yelled, trick or treat. Yikes. And others even throwed candy at the anti-death penalty demonstrators. Yikes again. It's also a little sick, right? Oh yeah. And then this was really interesting. I I actually happened to find this, his last meal. So his last meal that he requested was a T-bone steak, medium to well done, which is disgusting. (laughs) French fries and ketchup, whole kernel corn, sweet peas, lettuce and tomato salad with egg and French dressing, iced tea with sweetener, saltines, rolls, and a Boston cream pie. 
The saltines don't fit fucking anywhere in that meal. Like, what is going on? That whole meal, why would you want peas? (laughs) (laughs) I like peas. I like peas too, but if I'm about to die, I don't want to eat peas. That's not my last meal preference. (laughs) I don't know what my last meal preference would be. All the junk food. Yeah, why not? All the junk food. In and out. Or just get fucking (laughs) shit-faced. Can I just get a bottle of tequila? Thanks. That's a good one. I bet they wouldn't let you. Oh, well, I know they don't because <laughs> I've never read a last, I've never read about somebody requesting a last meal that had alcohol, but. I feel like I read somewhere like a glass of wine or something, but no, I just want a fucking bottle of tequila. Let me get shit faced and then you can, you can do whatever. I won't care at that point. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder why you can't get drunk. I'm going to start petitioning for that. You know how like Kim Kardashian is getting wrongly accused people out. I'm going to start advocating for death row inmates to be able to order booze on their way out. There you go. Everybody needs a purpose. So that is the story of the Candyman, Ronald O'Brien. That was so good. I like that story. I mean, it's horrible, but. I just think it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's super shitty, but I mean, like, you have all those red flags and then you still try to be like, no, I didn't do it. Like. I mean, there has to be. Did you really think you'd get away from it? I mean, you have to be a special kind of person, right? To just continue to say, no, no, no. Didn't do it. Yeah. It wasn't me. Didn't also the house where he said he got the candy from, like, he didn't like the guy that lived there or some shit. So he, like, wanted to put it on him, like, on purpose. Oh, that's interesting. I I didn't come across that, but, I mean, that's, why not? Why wouldn't you pick that Well, I read, like, a (laughs) hundred... Exactly. Well, I read like a hundred different stories, so I might be making shit up, but I I think it was that one. Might have been. That's what I mean. That's what you do to neighbors you don't like, right? You try to pin murders on them (laughs) or egg their house. But yeah, murder is good. What do you have for this Halloween? Uh, My story is fucking terrible. I should have had you go last, but I am covering the toolbox killers and it's going to be a little, it jumps around a little bit. So the toolbox killers were Roy Lewis Norris, and he was born uh, February 5th. He was conceived out of wedlock. So his parents got married just to avoid the social stigma of being unmarried. This is, um, that was in like 48. I was going to ask you. So, you know, Yeah, you have to do it, right? And then the other guy is Lawrence Sigmund Bitteker. And his birth is kind of the same too. His parents had decided that they weren't going to have children. And then she got pregnant. So as soon as he's born, she takes him to an orphanage. And both of them have a fairly shitty life. But my story for Halloween is Shirley Lynette Ledford was abducted on October 31st, 1979. She was abducted as she stood outside of a gas station and she was hitchhiking home from a Halloween party. And this is in a suburb of LA. So investigators believe that she got in the car with them because Bitteker went to the restaurant where she worked all the time. So she was at least, you know, recognized him from that. I don't know if she knew his name or anything, but She'd seen him around and felt, oh, okay, he comes to work all the all time. Right. Women, we've been dumb for way too long. Like, stop. stop. Don't get in cars with people who come to your coffee shop. 
So upon accepting the offer for a ride home and getting in, oh, also I forgot to mention, these two guys had like planned to go around and like pick up women and stuff. So they have a fucking white van with no windows. This is where that oh fucking God. stereotype don't get in starts. Don't, don't do it. Yes. Yeah. One of them would be driving and one of them would be in the back of the van. And so when she got in the van, um, Norris offered her weed. She said no. And they drove down to like a secluded street. Norris took out a, a knife and then he bound and gagged her with construction tape. So the reason they're called the toolbox killers is they just have a toolbox back there and they just grab random shit out of it. So they have her uh, taped up with construction tape. So Bitteker then trades places with Norris and uh, Norris drives around just kind of random places for over an hour as uh, Bitteker's in the back with her. So he removed the construction tape from her mouth and her legs and he had a tape recorder in the van. So he turns on this tape recorder and a lot of this is like word from word from the cassette. So he is back there. He's kind of just tormenting her. He's slapping her, making fun of her. He starts beating her with his fists and he tells her, he keeps telling her, say something, say something. So she starts screaming and he tells her to scream louder. And he's just kind of talking shit to her again. He's like, oh, what's the matter? Da, da, da. Well, she starts crying and she's like pleading with him and telling him not to touch her. So he tells her to scream again. And then he starts striking her with a hammer and beating her with his fists and torturing her with pliers. Jesus. So he just kind of goes back and forth between all of this while he's also raping her. This is awful. You can hear him on the um, the cassette and she's just asking for him to stop and screaming, oh no. And so you can hear him like digging in the toolbox too, like pulling out whatever he's looking for. Norris is the one who ends up um, confessing. And so uh, he later describes this as just hearing screams from her, constant screams from the back of the van as he drove around. So then they switch places. And so now Norris is in the back and he again turns on this tape recorder and he's shouting at her, telling her to scream again. And then he takes a sledgehammer and she screams, oh no. And then he hit her with a sledgehammer on her left elbow. What the fuck? She tells him he broke her her elbow and pleads, don't hit me again. And then he picks up the sledgehammer and hits her on the same elbow 25 fucking times. All right. These are some very angry individuals. Again, like I said, Norris is the one of the two that, you know, tries to make a plea deal. And so this is a direct quote for him. He says, we've all heard women scream in horror films. Still, we know that no one is really screaming. Why? Simply because an actress can't produce some sounds that convince us that something Vile and heinous is happening. Is happening. If you ever heard that cassette tape, there is just no way possible that you would not begin crying and trembling. I doubt you could listen to more than a full sixty seconds of it. Is what he says about this recording that he recorded of himself. That's horrifying. Yeah. After about two hours, uh, Norris ends up strangling her with a coat hanger. 
and they would drive up into the mountains and they would just throw their bodies in random places well since it was halloween they decided to put it in front of someone's house so that that way they could see like the reaction from the press so they had done this before yes this is actually what ends up getting them caught this is their last murder and i'll go into the other ones but this one was on halloween and also they're all like equally terrible so i kind of gloss over all of them because we don't need all of this terrible stuff but so her body's found by a jogger the next morning and an autopsy revealed that she died from strangulation and extensive blunt force trauma her skull had multiple fractures her genitalia had been destroyed and her left hand had a puncture wound and her finger had been sliced open so she had been trying to fight um, as much as she could Later, Bittaker tries to say that that cassette tape is just them having a threesome and it's not really anything, even though towards the end, she's literally begging for them to kill her. But no, it was just a threesome and it was consensual. I always yell, oh no, during my threesome. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Nobody screams bloody murder and you broke my elbow. What the fuck kind of threesome and breaking arms? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous that he would even try and pass that off. Yeah. In November, so that was October, Norris becomes reacquainted with some guy that he knew when they had been in uh, jail before. So he starts bragging to this guy because, of course, he does. He's very specific about that victim, um, Shirley Ledford. And up to this point, she was the only victim whose body had been found. So he's giving him all these details about that murder. And then he also told them that they had committed four other murders and that there had been three episodes where they had like kidnapped or tried to kidnap women. Um, And one of them, they actually raped her and they let her go. Like I said, this guy had met him. His name's Joseph Jackson. He'd met him while he was in prison. And so he's out on parole. So he fucking calls his attorney and is like, what the fuck? Like, I don't want to get caught up in this. And so the attorney is like, yeah, we need to call the cops. Um, Him and his attorney called the LAPD and they talked to two people in the Hermosa Beach police because that's where the body was found. He's trying to, one of the detectives up there is trying to investigate what Norris had told Jackson. Like I said, they hadn't found any bodies, but they did match up with missing persons reports so like about the same time you know same area so there's some confirmation yes Norris had also told him that one time they were maced in the face by a woman and then they drug her into the van and they both raped her and that's the one who they let go Robin Robeck and she had called the police told them that she'd been raped she maced them so they were aware of it but they couldn't find her assailants So that detective sends um, an investigator. She lives in Oregon now. So he sends an investigator up to Oregon and they show her a bunch of mugshots. And without hesitation, she picked out those two men as the ones who had kidnapped and raped her. So then they go and they search uh, Bittaker's apartment and they found several Polaroid photographs that were um, two of his murder victims. And they found a sledgehammer, a bag with lead weights in it a book telling how to locate police radio frequencies, because this is before we had scanners, 
two necklaces and they were later confirmed to belong to two of the victims. A tape recording of a young woman in obvious distress. Obvious distress. I love the way police reports read. (laughs) Being murdered on tape, right? So again, the only body they found is Ledford, who was killed on um, Halloween. So the poor mom, her mom, had to identify the voice on the tape as that of her only daughter. And the two men mocking and threatening her in the van were identified as being Norris and Bittaker. So then in Norris's apartment, they found a bracelet that he took from Ledford's body. And then they found pictures of almost 500 teenage girls and young women, uh, most of them taken at Redondo Beach. Bittaker took a bunch at a Burbank high school. And most of those uh, pictures had been taken without knowledge or consent. So they're just going around taking fucking pictures of random people wherever they are. Which used to be a big deal. <laughs> like, I feel like that happens all the time now, but that was definitely a big deal. That's back still in the creepy. 70s for sure. Like I said, so Norris is the one that decides to confess after they were both arrested, but he is still trying to make it look like Bittaker is the one who's very sadistic and the murderer and he is just like oh I was you know I got caught up and I just raped her and that was it which was bullshit but so he tells them that they would drive around until they found someone that they decided they uh, wanted to abduct they would overpower her bound her hand and feet gag her and then they had a location up deep in the San Gabriel Mountains And then they would rape them. And then usually they strangled them, the wild coat hanger. And then the first four bodies, they threw like off a cliff into the woods in the middle of these mountain range. With Ledford, he says that he used the the sledgehammer, but he says, oh, Bitteker strangled her. Um, And like I said, he is trying to downplay his involvement, but you have the cassette tape. And according to Norris, to the level of brutality from Bittaker, they uh, he kind of ramped it up each time they did it. It got worse and worse. But also Norris is a part of that, too. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of fitting from the psychological profile, right? Yeah. So like if first, you know, they just attempted to abduct someone and then they got away and then they got that woman who they managed to rape and then they let go. And then they realized that they didn't want to get caught because they live they were leaving witnesses so that's when they decided to start killing them so their first victim was 16 year old lucinda schaefer and she was murdered on june 24th and then on july 1979 they encountered 18 year old andrea joy hall hitchhiking and they uh, most of them they get to voluntarily get in their car but her, uh, she wouldn't. And so they actually had to jump out and drag her in. And then in September, they saw two girls hitchhiking. This is the worst, I think. They offered them a ride and the two girls got in the car. Jackie Doris Gillum was 15 and Jacqueline Leah Lamp was 13. And they took them up in the San Gabriel Mountains and dropped their bodies off as well. Norris takes them up in the woods and he's trying to more or less point out where they might have thrown the bodies over the cliff or whatever. And the only bodies they find is Gillum and Lamp. And those were the most recent before the Halloween murder. So they found those. They never did find the other two girls' bodies. 
Bitteker died while he was incarcerated on death row in San Quentin, December 13, 2019. And supposedly it was natural causes. He was 79. And then Norris was actually incarcerated at the Donovan Correctional Facility, which is in San Diego. It's their prison. Hey, I've been there. I've been there too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was on a tour though, because that's what I worked for the sheriff's department. Oh no, I went to go visit somebody. You remember Billy. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but like when we went, they were, it was like a summer camp. Like they just had a bunch of like outbuildings. They weren't really locked in because this is like a minimum security prison. And then they had like the rec hall and they had like Xboxes and like all this shit. And I'm like, they have more stuff than I do. I don't think that's really fair. That was not the part of the prison I saw. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I think we the, were in I the, think the tours get the best of the prison. Yeah, for sure. Well, and then they like, it's like I said, I worked for the sheriff's department. So they just took us around and they were like, oh, here's our non-lethal weapons and they had like bean ball or bean bag guns and then they had which this is the first time I've ever seen it they make um pepper spray like bullets and so you shoot them in the chest and then it like explodes and then it, they just got like pepper sprayed I thought that was kind of interesting so he just died of natural causes too um in 2020 and he was 72 wow those guys lasted a while in prison yeah surprisingly right um, and to his death, Norris still said that the real, the only reason he participated was because he was scared of Bitteker. He also says that twice while they were in their like murder spree, he was going to call the cops and confess. But again, he never did. And also, like we said, he's on tape being a fucking terrible person. Like who's like, yeah, I knew we were fucking up and doing awful, horrible things. But then I just decided... I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn myself in. Like, what a weird thing to say. Right. And I'm like, also, so you were all paranoid about leaving witnesses, but then you recorded everything. Like you can't say, oh, I, you know, I wasn't very brutal when you're the one who hit her 26 fucking times in the elbow with a sledgehammer. Yeah. Like, for real. sorry. Well, I mean, people are crazy for a reason, right? Like, they're not going to be logical. They're not going to say logical things. But those are the toolbox killers. Wow. All right. Well, glad that they are dead. (laughs) I know. I read that and I was like, dude, this is seriously like a horror movie. That is a horror movie. I mean, that's literally how many horror movies are about young women getting in the back of fucking vans like don't do it i know ever call an uber don't hitchhike or just don't go anywhere you should just stay home stay at home home. yeah (laughs) there's lots of people outside we don't recommend it just stay home wow all right well those are both some pretty creepy halloween stories and even though halloween is on a sunday if you are out and about this evening please be safe don't eat any pixie sticks especially if they have fucking staples don't eat any candy that has a staple i'm just telling you right now it's never a good sign all right well what are you doing tonight allison you got plans or did you guys celebrate yesterday no i'm just sitting at home watching scary movies you know like every other day yeah All right. Well, happy Halloween and we'll see See you around around the campfire. campfire. Bye.